Thanks for tuning in to NL News Day. It is Monday, the first day of the work week. And as always, pleased to welcome to the program now, Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Kyla, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Well, appreciate you coming on as always. So I want to get into this case here of, I guess, mistaken identity that occurred on Friday. It was a disappointing piece of news to read about over the weekend, but one that was, uh, you know, kind of had my attention to see how things were unfolding. So just a quick background for anyone. Uh, Vancouver police confirmed that they were called to the English Bay Area around 9.15 Friday morning to reports of a man assaulting strangers. Police came across a man who they say resembled the description of the suspect. The suspect described as someone in their 40s to 50s and uh, was a dark-skinned man. The man that they ended up handcuffing, though, an 81-year-old well-known retired judge, Selwyn Romilly. Now, Romilly was first the first black person named to the B.C. Supreme Court. Um, now, he has said that he was walking on the sea well when he was approached by five police officers looking for a suspect who had reportedly been yelling and screaming at people and trying to kick them. The officers told Romilly that he matched the description of the suspect and placed him in handcuffs uh, in order for the safety of the officers. And, uh, well, basically, Kyla, that's kind of the background here. He wasn't arrested for all that long. It sounds like he was removed from handcuffs pretty darn quickly. But my first question, I guess, for you in this kind of a situation is, like, I would obviously never recognize a judge, but I'm not a police officer. And, and Ramili, a retired uh, uh, judge, well-known. Um, should that be someone that officers would recognize right away? I mean, I feel like this guy is in a big enough position. I mean, he's not there anymore, but still, should they know who who this guy is when they're approaching him? Oh, I think the, the police should have known who this justice was. I mean, Justice Romilly didn't retire that long ago. I've, you know, my career's been short, but I've had the opportunity to appear in front of him. Um, and so, you know, he is somebody that officers may or may not have had to deal with as far as testifying in front of or bringing applications in front of uh, in the course of their careers. Um, and certainly officers should be aware of uh, who the sitting justices and recently retired justices are as far as knowing their names and knowing their information. I'm also incredibly concerned just in this case about sort of the, the actions of the officer in, in jumping to this idea of handcuffing uh, an individual whom they didn't know the identity of without taking any steps whatsoever to verify that. I mean, putting aside the fact that he's a judge, when you're, when you're dealing with that type of situation, uh, you know, satisfying yourself of somebody's identity seems to me to be the first logical steps that you would take and then you know do you have some id looking at his identification and going oh well that's justice romilly obviously that's not the person we're looking for and leaving it at that yeah and and especially too i imagine he was not you know combative he probably wasn't uh you know being verbally aggressive or anything like that so really the need to put this person in handcuffs just really doesn't sit well i mean it's not some, it's not a it's not a step that really should have been taken but it sounds like it was the absolute first piece of action that went into this and i can understand you know a situation where police have been uh, have been given information that somebody is engaged in violent or or problematic behavior as being something that would prompt police to want to put them in handcuffs 
Um, but if they're not exhibiting that behavior when you interact with them, and when there are five of you armed, as we know police all are, with firearms, tasers, um, those, those little sticks that they have uh, trained in how to take individuals down, um, the risk to you as a police officer is much lower than the risk to members of the public in general. And so there was no reason on the facts of this case, even, you know, putting aside again the racial issue here, um, no reason on the facts of this case to go for the handcuffs as the first stage of what they were doing. There was no risk to those police officers. And to justify this as a, as a decision that was made in the interest of officer safety, um, I think ignores all of the evidence that the officers had before them at the time. Well, you brought up the issue of race here, so let's let's get into that here briefly at the very least. And, and you know, police looking for someone between the ages of 40 and 50 and arrest a man who's over the age of 80. I mean, what does that tell you when it comes to, to racial profiling? I mean, I know we had a long way to go in that regard. And, and, you know, you and I have talked about the concerns when it comes to, to road checks throughout the province as it relates to race. Um, but this just makes me feel when I see instances like this that we in Canada and, and in BC have a lot further to go than maybe I might have even imagined. We do have a, a long, long way to go. And and I think the handcuffing is, you know, a good example of the of of how this was a situation that was if only subconsciously racially motivated. Um, the police didn't have a description of, of the individual beyond a dark-skinned male, which matches a lot of men mm -hmm. uh, in the lower mainland, a lot of men that would have been walking on the seawall. Um, they had an age range that did not match the individual that they were dealing with. And it, it seems like they walked down the seawall and the first black person they saw was the person that they were arresting. And these are the types of, you know, subconscious stereotyping about black people that we see that inform the way that police treat black people. Um, issues of, of, you know, the stereotype that, uh, that individuals who are black are more likely to be aggressive and more likely to be violent when that's not even statistically true. Um, and, and certainly there was no evidence before the police on this occasion to, to support that uh, the person that they handcuffed was going to be violent towards the police officers. These are the stereotypes that unfortunately get sort of subconsciously drilled into police officers' brains and everybody's brains um, and, and make people more likely to act in the way that the police officers did. And it, it, it requires police in Canada to essentially consciously unlearn the subconscious behaviors that they've developed and the subconscious biases that they've developed. It, it requires officers in all instances before they take an action to go, am I taking this action based on the evidence in front of me in this situation or based on something that is in the back of my mind that has nothing to do with the situation I'm finding myself in. Is there anything that uh, Justice Romilly could do in this type of a situation in terms of legal action? Like, I know he doesn't want to do that. He's just hoping that the officers involved and, and really the entire VPD kind of uses this as a learning opportunity. But if he did want to pursue something further, what options would potentially be on the table? Yeah, so I mean, anybody that found themselves in a situation like this would have a couple options available to them. The first one, of course, is that they could file a human rights complaint um, that the Vancouver Police Department treated them in a discriminatory way on the basis of uh, their skin color. And the Human Rights Tribunal would investigate that and could award damages for the insult to the to the dignity. That's probably the most uh, likely um, sort of forum in which uh, an individual could get some sort of compensation 
compensation for what went on. Um, the other options would be to file a civil suit uh, for um, uh, for unlawful detention, essentially the handcuffing, excessive force on, on behalf of the police and the circumstances, even just the use of handcuffs is a, a level of force um, that can be reviewed by the court and can lead to an award of civil damages. The problem with the civil suit is that civil suits don't often uh, result in awards beyond compensation for the losses sustained as a result of the injury. So the injury to dignity or the humiliation is not something that in a civil case is going to lead to much, much damages. And the third option uh, that they have is they could file a, uh, a lawsuit against the police under the charter, um, claiming that uh, their charter rights were damaged uh, or violated by the police officers and seek compensation for the violation of the charter rights. Um, these cases rarely happen, um, but there is precedent for it. Uh, for example, the Cameron Ward case where he was awarded $5,000 when he was uh, strip searched by members of the Vancouver Police Department because he threatened to put a pie in the face of the Prime Minister. Uh, how, how when these cases do end up moving forward, um, how how successful do they tend to be? I know, like you know, we we know that the crown typically tries to side with law enforcement when we see these kinds of cases come forward. Uh, what what would be the success rate? Um, even maybe that's not even the right phrasing to use here, but just how likely would it be that um, the the defendant would be um, you know win win a case like that? I think the Human Rights Tribunal, again, would be sort of the the forum in which a person would be most likely to be successful. Um, from the civil uh, perspective, on a civil damages lawsuit, um, the absence of any real damages, no, no injuries, no physical injuries, no loss of opportunity, no time off work or anything like that, um, makes the case just kind of not worth bringing, um, other than for the, you know, reason of sending a message to the VPD. And as far as the charter damages, the amount of money that's awarded for a breach of a person's charter rights is so low that, again, it's, it's a real big deterrent. And you would have to establish first that your rights were violated. The court could side on behalf of the police and say the use of force in handcuffing was justified given the nature of the complaint. Um, the, the courts could uh, could find that the breach wasn't significant enough to warrant damages because it was only very minor and transitory and the police were dealing with an evolving situation about which they had little information. Um, I guess I'll wrap things up here, but do you think maybe the police involved in this detention are almost lucky with, with who it is that they aren't going to take further action? I mean, they're probably unlucky in the sense that this has gotten so much exposure, right? And we've seen so much media coverage because uh, it was, um, you know, Selwell Romilly. But do you think that, you know, even in the grand scheme of things, maybe the uh, the fact that he just kind of wants this to be a learning opportunity more than anything else is kind of lucky? They are lucky that uh, certainly that uh, this was the person that they picked to handcuff that day because it's not somebody who's, you know, going to be looking for blood. Um, but at the same time, uh, they are unlucky that this was the individual that they chose to chose to handcuff and chose to deal with that day because it does attract a lot more public attention. And the fact that it's attracted all of this public attention um, is also lucky for us mm -hmm. as members of the public because mm -hmm. we get to hear about these types of things that we, I'm sure, would not hear about if it had not been a very well-known, very well-respected, retired BC Supreme Court judge.
I'll, I'll let you go on that. But uh, yeah, definitely a, an important conversation. And uh, like you mentioned, lucky probably for us that we get to hear this kind of a story because it wouldn't have come to light um, had it not been someone who was, you know, well known within the uh, the province of British Columbia. So uh, da- thank you so much for the commentary. As always, appreciate this. We'll do it again soon. Um, and, and thanks as always for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Awesome stuff. Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee joining me every single Monday to talk about something in the legal world that's going on in our province. And this was a very interesting story that broke out on Friday. Uh, Friday morning, the police in Vancouver were called to the English Bay area looking for a man described as a 40 to 50 year old dark skinned man ended up handcuffing an 81-year-old, well-known, retired judge, Selwyn Romilly. Romilly, the first black person named to the B.C. Supreme Court. Probably somebody that officers should recognize in that kind of a scenario. And, uh, you know, I don't know how you can mix up somebody who is, you know, around the age of 45 based on the description and end up coming across a guy who is 81 years old. Those two descriptions don't feel like they should correlate in any way shape or form so uh, as was mentioned at the tail end there by kyla probably lucky that it was selwyn romilly who's not out looking to you know make a make a uh um an example out of these individuals but at the same point in time hoping that this is a nice learning opportunity for all of those involved i'm sure uh, those individuals won't be making a similar mistake anytime soon or at least will be approaching this type of a situation a little bit differently the next time they are called for something like this So my appreciation to Kyla for coming on the show and talking about this situation that has uh, a lot of individuals in the legal community, for sure, a little bit upset about how this whole thing went down Friday morning.